welcome back to the Grok Science Show. I'm Charles Lee. And I'm Frank Ling. And it looks like we have some new folks joining us now. Hi, everybody. I'm Angelica, and I'm joining the show for the first time all the way from Taipei, Taiwan. I am a reporter and clean energy advocate right here in Taipei. And then we also have Imam uh, Hi, from Chicago. Yeah, I'm from Chicago, a PhD student studying the anthropology and history of science, really interested in uh, nuclear fusion and in all science communications. So happy to join you all here. Now we've got some additional voices bringing us into the new era of science. Not, not just two dudes anymore. <laughs> well, by the way, Frank, it's been a while since uh, I've chatted with you on the show, too. I know. That's like it was so 20th century. Oh, wait, we actually started in the 21st century. Well, we just, I think we just time traveled. Uh, it's good to be back in the room, I guess. <laughs> I think we're going to try some different formats for the show now, and it looks like we're going to go back to doing a little bit of what we used to do, which is roundups of science events, right? But uh, maybe we can get a little bit of a uh, background on Angelica and Uos. So, Angelica, I know you've had a very diverse career in journalism, energy, and I understand you also worked in a pastry shop. Is that right? Well, actually, before the pandemic, Frank, I was actually the pastry chef at Michelin-rated Hinoki and the Bird in Los Angeles. And I was progressing in my kitchen career, and I thought I would do it for the rest of my life. But apparently the world had other ideas. You guys might remember a little something called COVID. My yeah. other Taiwan, <laughs> my other homeland, Taiwan, handled the pandemic so much better than the U.S. So I flew back and restarted my journalism career. It actually turned out great. I really got connected on the energy topic in Taiwan because we're an island that's trying to decarbonize while producing the most powerful computer chips in the world. And it's a huge challenge here. And I really became passionate about the cause of nuclear energy here in Taiwan. Because the thing is, we're actually still in the process of officially trying to phase out nuclear energy in Taiwan. And I think that will be a huge mistake. And in fact, today, my share is also going to be related to nuclear energy, although in a different application. Do you think if you ever open up a new pastry shop, you might call it the yellow cake? Oh, my goodness, that would be too good. Yeah, but actually, while that's probably too much work, I do dream about uh, one day, like maybe opening up nuclear themed bar concept. I think that would be really fun to have different radioactive drinks like Cherenkov Blue and the Atomic Meltdown and stuff like that. <laughs> well, I, that's, I was going to say the perfect name for it should be called The Meltdown. I think. The Meltdown, that's right. Good kind of meltdown. <laughs> And then you can kind of like stealth influence people to adopt nuclear by using it as like a bait and switch, like a common misconception about nuclear (laughs) energy is. Well, you know, that's really my model, always be influencing. So, you know, kind of have a different persona on different apps, but I'm always trying to slip a little nuclear material in there. I think your place could have the kids meal and reactor that you would give away. (laughs) A reactor with every happy meal. That'll be the dream. I, I, you know, sometimes I see online those, um, you know, 1950s toys when they were just like, oh, we'll just throw a bit of radioactive material in here. <laughs> well, it was a different era, but I'm, I'm 
journalism, but I mean, you got it more into now science journalism per se, or just? Well, actually, I was, when I first came back to Taiwan, I was really just a business reporter. And I got into energy journalism because I really wanted to cover TSMC. That was like the coolest thing that I wanted to cover, but it, I wasn't assigned to that beat. And, but I noticed that TSMC have this huge need for green energy because they're trying to decarbonize their supply chain. I don't know how they're going to do it because in 2021, they used like 6.5% of Taiwan's total grid went to just one company, TSMC, and they're going to use more and more. They're probably going to double that really soon. But they're trying to buy power from offshore wind energy and offshore wind is my beat. So that's how I initially got interested in it. And then I just kind of became randomly the biggest offshore, most influential offshore wind reporter in Taiwan. I think it's because I was producing a lot of coverage in English. I thought you were going to say producing a lot of wind, but... You know, I, I have to say with offshore wind, I, I was so in love with it. But the more I found out, the more I realized it was so limited. Basically, you know, newsflash, those giant wind turbines the size of the Eiffel Tower doesn't really produce any power unless the wind is being cooperative. So that I looked into, I really got into Taiwan's energy system as a system with all these inputs and outputs and stuff that needs to go right to make sure all the electrons get to where they need to go. And I was fortunate enough eventually to have my work promoting Taiwan's energy transition on a precondition of abundance and stability. And I started a, a nonprofit organization called the Clean Energy Transition Alliance, where we're actively working on this now. So I spend my time writing a lot of op-eds and talking to people, communicating to journalists is a big part of my job now, which is funny because I was a journalist before. Then also um, I'm writing on a report called the Taiwan Energy Future Puzzle, where we're trying to give a holistic view of how are we going to decarbonize when we're a small island with poor renewable energy resources, apart from offshore wind, of course, but that's only one thing. And we are isolated grid, meaning that it's really really hard to balance all those renewable energy it's true want, want to see also uh what iman's up to uh, since we're trying to introduce everybody's yeah so i'm doing a joint degree so one of my degrees is in anthropology and the other one is it's a bit of a mouthful but it's the conceptual and historical studies of science so it's a lot of philosophy of science history of science sociology of science and i was initially writing my dissertation about the space program in the uae because they had these really speculative projects attached to it uh, related to colonizing mars by 2117 that's something they have something called the mars 2117 project and they also are doing all kinds of terraforming biosphere geo-hacking, climate hacking stuff. They're really into like rain seeding, cloud seeding, things like that. I'm still working on that research and I, I have a couple of articles I'm trying to write about it. But what really caught my attention was the fields of low energy nuclear reactions and solid state fusion. And even though it was a side project initially, I just kind of kept coming back to it and finding it interesting. And it seemed to me like the most fascinating case study for philosophy and history of science, because there's experimentation happening, there's controversy, there's questions about replication, there's questions about whether the phenomena is there or not. 
there's debates between chemists and physicists and engineers, and there's questions about science funding and science priorities and public priorities in terms of basic research versus commercialization. So there was just so much there that I just couldn't help but be drawn to it. So I ended up switching my dissertation to that quite recently, and I'm still working on the UAE project, but perhaps more longer term study. It's It's been really fun. And aside from my academic research, I uh, have a background in curriculum design. So I used to work for Khan Academy for their world history course, and then I jumped over to another project called the OER Project, which stands for Open Education Resource, where we create completely free curriculums for primarily high school students, but also middle school students. So I've worked on history courses there and and most recently on our climate course, which really ties together nicely with my academic research as well. So I'm sort of historian and anthropologist, but also educator and science communicator. And I like to try to figure out the technical aspect of the science, even though I'm not technically trained. But once I figure it out, I hope that makes me sort of a more effective communicator because I can find some of the blind spots that scientists sometimes have because they know the material so well. But my academic training also gives me a bit of an ability to look at things a bit more generally and zoom out and switch scales and try to see some connections that specialists may not be able to see. So it's really fun connecting the dots and bringing that perspective in. You know, I'll never be as proficient as someone who has been a nuclear physicist or, you know, an electrochemist for three decades. But sometimes I can hopefully bring some context, some historical context, some insights from philosophy and anthropology of science, uh, kind of moving between those two worlds quite often, but there's a lot of synergy between them. Well, Imam, I just wanted to chime in because I resonated so hard with that because I'm also somebody from a non-technical background that's interfacing between a lot of highly technical folks and, you know, just a general public. And I always like to say, this person spent their lifetime, maybe like a, over a 30-year career, focusing on the subject. And I only have like maybe 30 minutes with them to do an interview. And then I have to work to condense the material so that the average person, and we're lucky, will spend three minutes reading it. So from a whole lifetime to three minutes, if you're lucky, that's the condensation that has to go on. So really a huge job in and of itself, yeah. Yeah, condensing things is definitely part of the challenge. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sometimes the experts are the worst people to actually be explaining a topic because they just know too many details. And it's- yeah, it's it's fun because in some ways, like you can gain a deep understanding, but it won't ever be quite as deep. But it's sort of always. I feel like the way that I learned to think about scientific concepts is that like the concept always has its legs under it and it's always moving around to try to communicate itself to someone new. And so there's a big difference between trying to get a middle schooler to understand something versus an investor versus a policymaker and having to constantly like move with the idea and see the different angles of it gives me a new way to understand it, which is really fun. So some of the things I've had to do are explain what Einstein Bose statistics are to an 11 year old, like 
that's really challenging and like in one page you might need to explain that to me too (laughs) (laughs) i'm not sure how successful it was but i think it's really fun to kind of try and it's really surprising to to do that so i have like a a niece who's taking like ap physics right now and i always tell her like i'm learning physics at the same time as you and so she'll text me and she'll say something like can you explain like general relativity and i'm sitting there trying to think of metaphors and and that's i think some of the fun part is like trying to come up with images or like you know the idea of a bowling ball on a sheet that people are holding from four corners like stretching space time like that kind of thing can be really fun so yeah there's a little bit of joy in it too and and a bit of playfulness that I hope I can hold on to sometimes I ask chat GPT to do that which is really fun I'll like feed it something and I'll say explain this as though I was a college freshman now explain this as though I'm five years old and sometimes quite it's quite wrong quite often but it's still really instructive I think Well, I had just gotten on this Richard Feynman, you know, the physicist who was lauded for being a great explainer of science. I went for the first time, looked at his famous Feynman lectures on physics. And unfortunately, and this might piss off the people out there who like Feynman, those lectures are incomprehensible. (laughs) I can't imagine anyone learning physics from those lectures. He himself probably admitted he wasn't probably the best person to be teaching physics to a beginner because he was just so steeped in it that thinking on a different level that people couldn't come along. But I never read it until just recently. (laughs) Um, I don't recommend it. I, I mean, that's kind of in contrast to the Feynman technique of learning, right? Which is all about like, in order to learn something, you try to teach it to an imaginary student as a way for you to retain that information. I'm not sure if that he actually followed those rules. Well, sounds like he didn't. I had that book in my cart, so you've saved me some cash, Charles. Well, in the spirit of actually explaining things, should we move on to our topics and start explaining sure. some <laughs> Yeah, there's actual stuff going on. We could make this little episode like the uh, let's let's all get to know each other episode. And the sounds good. Sounds good. Well, well, how about this? Why don't you guys also introduce yourselves? Because we we kind of know. Of course, we all know you guys already. But we're new to rocks. But this is a show with so much history. So why don't you take this little moment to take a look back and what's been great about running rocks and what do you, what's your hope for the future? Huh? Come on, guys. Frank. <laughs> Sure. I mean, I, I think it started off as like two friends who are really interested in science. And oh, we were friends, were we? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> or we're about to be, I guess, <laughs> for the first time. Um, but I think one of the interesting inscriptions that we've gotten over the years is, is that we were the click and clack of, of science. So it's really ha- having fun with what's going on in people's labs, experts, authors with their books, and, uh, you know, just following our curiosities. But I, I think at the same time, we've kind of, I got to appreciate what a lot of other people are doing outside my field. Yeah, it's always been a journey, so I enjoy it a lot. Uh, we've gotten also very interesting interviewees in the process. I, I think, I don't know if it's ironic or not, but the most famous person that people recognize is, uh, is George Foreman. <laughs> he had the greatest invention ever. I mean, the, the Foreman grill and, and walk. Actually, you, you interviewed him for Walk It Off with George. I remember his little video. That's uh, right. That's right. It was a diet program. Program. So I don't think anyone remembers any of the Nobel Prizes, Prize winners, but everyone remembers George Foreman. I, I think him and Will Wheaton were perhaps the two of your big uh, your big scores as far as interviews go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was fun, too. 
I think the toughest interview we ever had to try and hunt down, at least I remember, was Steve Wolfram. He took forever. It was some publicist of his that just kept blocking us for no reason in terms of trying to get this interview. And when we finally did, he was he, he was like, oh, I'm so sorry that happened. I was more than happy to chat with you. But for some reason, this, this publicist of his or his assistant just didn't want to make oh. it happen. So Publicists with overinflated ego, and they are the worst. Like Some people get drunk on very little power. That is all I'll say. Frank, actually, what was your favorite interview you think you ever did, besides George Foreman, of course? Yeah, I think, let's see. Oh, well, I, I enjoyed your interview with Brian Green. That was a lot of fun. I enjoyed Roger Penrose a lot, too. Yeah, there was that one year where we had a bunch of physicists, and that was, I guess, I don't know, maybe our, our golden year of physics that year. Right, and yet we still don't know what everything's made out of. <laughs> you would think in 10, 12 years now. Particles and fields. Yeah. It's all fields, isn't it? It's just fields. Except for gravity. We don't, we're not quite sure how that works <laughs> in terms of the fields. I remember, I remember one of the nicest ones I did was way back with Sylvia Nasser because she came into the studio, actually, and she was the That's author right. who did the Beautiful Mind, John Forbes Nash biography, and for some reason we were able to con her publicist into actually thinking we were legitimate, and, and she came down to the, the studio and gave a, gave a very nice interview, so I think... I think I brought coffee to the studio. But, you know, actually, I just I just realized that I think, put this up at the end of February, it'll actually be the anniversary, I think we started in the end of February. In 2001? 2001, right? That's right. Wow. So, so were you wow. guys in a studio setup when you first started? So we did this in the Calyx uh, radio studio in, in at UC Berkeley. And we started off by, by volunteering for the evening news. And then that grew into this program. So we auditioned that we wanted to do a science program and, and we got accepted. And that's... We've been doing it ever since. Or Charles has been doing it. I, I've been kind of off of the reservations for the last couple of years, but trying to get slowly get back in. It's been a 22-odd-year endeavor for both of us in terms of doing the show. and That's incredible. I mean, I don't I don't think I've ever done anything for 20 years in a row. Breathe, maybe. <laughs> it's there not, are not many really... podcasts that have a 20-year history. No, yeah, so, you know, that's... I'm very honored to be included in the history of this really cool show. Absolutely. Oh, it's our honor. Looking forward to talking about science. Expect a lot of their stuff. Oh, is that? Oh, we're supposed to talk about science. That's right. That's a science show, right? I think most of the time we just kind of, when we when we did this, we sort of, there was a lot of science, but there was just a lot of just chatting, I think, also when we when we first started it out as well, because I think that was part of the charm of it. <laughs> a lot more people, I think, gravitated onto Frank, and he would get approached very often by by fans, I would say some some might delve into the realm of stalker, perhaps, but I think <laughs> there are a few of those types as well. Well, so yeah, I, I think for the first few years we're mostly centered in Berkeley, and and so I think whoever listened to the local radio station and lived around the area, right? So yeah, the best surprise we got was we were in I think it was that uh, restaurant Jupiter's, and and the uh, uh, the waiter recognized us. <laughs> he gave us free beer that day. So right now, is it Grox? A uh, obviously, it's a podcast that goes out over all the Spotify, Apple, other platforms. Is it also still like on the ra- local radio in Berkeley or anything? It's on stations through Public Radio Exchange. If you check stations, pick it up through the PRX, and then station here in Baton Rouge airs it regularly. WHYR ninety six point nine FM and a few other. There's a fairly regular one in Iowa City, Iowa. Oddly enough, I'll I'll shout out to them. KICI folks can go online and check out what stations. And of course, if you'd like your station to carry it, 
please let them know to carry Grok's. They can get it off the PRX or just whatever else. Oh, that's awesome. I love public radio. So awesome. <laughs> well, it looks like it's our 23rd anniversary show with our new group of folks. Well, that that's awesome. I'm so glad to be able to join you guys with a show with such a long history. Well, I guess we can all try and sign off. So we'll just say for Grok's, I was Charles Lee. I'm Frank Lee. I'm Angelica Ohm. And I'm Emmanuel Shake. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at grox.net. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.grox.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.